The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. to the tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you've chosen to be with us uh, this weekend. If you're watching online, listening in, uh, if you're here live, uh, we want you to feel welcome at our church. We're a church that uh, tries to keep things simple and right down the middle of the road. We believe in loving God and loving people, that that summarize all of the commandments of scripture. Jesus said that. And we're a church that believes that God still changes lives and that we still believe in change. Along that note, I'd like to say Happy New Year, right? So the calendar has changed. You got to remember to change that last digit when you write a check, those of you that still write checks and listen to cassette tapes. Um, just, as a, just out of curiosity, how many people here made some type of a New Year's resolution? Did you make a resolution or changing? Anybody? Four of you? Three of you? Resolutions are kind of... I did make a resolution now that I think about it. At first, I was like, I didn't make any resolutions, but I decided I have made a resolution, and my resolution is to stop believing that resolutions actually change anything, right? So that's my resolution is to stop lying to myself that anything's really going to change and stop believing things like life change. I'm not that cynical, but let's be honest. I woke up on New Year's Day 2016 late. And it was the same me that went to sleep on New Year's Eve. But there's something about the calendar changeover, right, that has us believing this time it's going to be different. I'm going to lose those 10 pounds, right? Or I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to be more generous. Or I'm going to, this is the year, right, of what? The year of what? And sometimes I think we get hung up on those things, but maybe that's just me. We're uh, studying Romans. And uh, last August, we started uh, this study. And, and if you remember, if you've been with us, uh, this is a review. And for those of you that are just joining us, it'll kind of bring you up to speed. Romans is really, really good news. And the good news is that there's a God that loves us and there's a God that loves us so much. He cares about us and he wants to have a relationship with us. And that's all of us. 
Every single one of us, whether you think you're a good person or a bad person, whether you're born into a good family or a jacked up family, if your situation is a good situation or you're in a terrible situation, no matter your gender, your race, your age, there's good news. There's a God that loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's great news, right? And then the second part of Romans, Romans part two, the way we're dividing it up, is that there's also really, really bad news. And the bad news is that God is holy and we're far from it. The bad news is that God is just and we're unjust. The bad news is that God is all good. There's nothing evil in him. And there's a lot of evil and darkness in my heart. Sometimes the black is matte black in my heart, right? And the bad news is that God is angry about sin. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you to get, you know, just tell you, you know, what you want to hear. God is really, really angry about sin. That was Romans part two. The wrath of God is coming because of all of our sin, all of our sin, all of our collective sin. And we took seven, eight weeks in Romans part two, or it was getting a little heavy. But as you can tell, we've started Romans part three, right? Romans part three is that good news is that God wants to rescue us. That God sent his son Jesus to rescue us. That's really good news. That's the best news. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're in the right place. The good news is, is that there is a rescue for all of us. It's available to all of us. If you're here today and you're not sure that you're a Christian, there's good news and that's there is a rescue. So for the next six, seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the ways that God rescues us. If you're here today and you are a Christian, let's not get caught up into thinking, well, yeah, you know, I believed in that rescue when I became a Christian last year or 10 years ago or 50 years ago. The rescue was true then and it's also true this morning. See, God just doesn't rescue us by giving us some type of get out of hell free card that's for someday out there. God's rescue is for this morning. God's rescue is for the way that you live your life. This is the good news of the gospel. The gospel is not just something for the end when we punch the clock one more time. The gospel is to be lived and experienced that rescue right now. So we're in uh, Romans chapter 3, and yes, this is a boat anchor, and I'll get to that here in a second. In Romans chapter 3, Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, inspired by, by, by the Holy Spirit, he starts in verse 23 with this thought. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Do you know what that means right there? Is you're in good company. There's no perfect people. When he says we've, that everyone has sinned, that includes me, that includes you. And if you don't think it includes you, there's the door, <laughs> Right? We've said it before, perfect people just, man, they mess up churches. They mess up situations, right? Perfect people, because you can't teach them anything. They've got it all sorted out. They want to, you know, they want it their way, and there's the highway. But, okay, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. 
This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Now, those three verses right there are some of the clearest explanation of what the gospel is in all of Romans. It describes the rescue, God's rescue through Christ, through what Jesus did on the cross for all of us. But there's more than one layer to it, in my opinion. Because it's not just God rescuing us. Oh yeah, I get it. Jesus died on the cross. That's what you Christians believe. Or yeah, that's what I believe. I believe that for years. What new thing can possibly come out of that? Remember, there's multiple layers. So it's for the person that doesn't know Christ. That's a rescue from, what did it say? The penalty, the punishment. There was a sacrifice. That's necessary. But there's another layer. Because the gospel is something we live out every day. It's not just for my justification, the moment I become a Christian, it's also for my sanctification, living it out day by day. That's how much we need Christ. That's how much we need rescued. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect still. Like I wish when I became a Christian, I would have become perfect. I got news, I didn't. And you're not perfect either. And sometimes we have this idea that Christians think that they're perfect. Well, they shouldn't because they're not. There's only one perfect person who's ever lived, and that's Jesus Christ. You're not perfect. You're not going to be perfect until you see him face to face in glory. So get over yourself. Get over yourself. There's a couple things that I think we need to see about this particular rescue in these verses. And I I think it's important for us to understand the fullest expression of the gospel. Because even if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're like, I get this. I I hope the non-Christians are listening. No, it's for us too. Because I think some of us, we kind of believe half of the gospel. Or maybe a third of it. Or maybe two-thirds of it. I think we need to believe all of it. We need to believe it for us. Here's the first thing that we see in those verses. Is that guilt condemns. Guilt condemns. Paul used words like penalty, punishment, sacrifice, blood. He started by saying, and every single one of us has sinned. That means every single one of us has done wrong. If you've done wrong, you're guilty. And if you've ever experienced guilt, which every single one of us has, if you haven't experienced guilt, you're a sociopath, right? So you feel guilty about your wrong deeds, Guilt has a way of condemning. It condemns us before God, and it condemns us before others, and it condemns us like in the court of your own personal opinion. So in other words, if you've sinned against God, you deserve this penalty. You deserve this punishment. You and I deserve death. That's what guilt does, the condemnation of guilt. But like I said, even though I'm a Christian, sometimes I still sin. And sometimes I still feel how guilt can condemn me. Guilt is when I've done wrong or I've done something bad. What follows guilt is shame. When I start dwelling on that or I have no place to put that guilt, 
Then I start believing that I am bad, not just that I've done bad. And guilt can be incredibly destructive. And it's not just for people far from God. I think it's a problem in church. I, I, I think it's a problem in our church. I know it's something I've experienced, and I bet you most of us have experienced the same thing. I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus died for me, but I, I still feel the condemnation of guilt. Guilt for the things that I've done wrong. Guilt for the good that I didn't do, that I should have done. Guilt for the things that have happened to me. Some of us start taking other people's guilt. It's not enough guilt, right? And so then that person that abused me, that person that hurt me, now I start feeling guilty about what they did, and it's something I didn't even do. And we're weighed down by that, but, oh, how are you this morning? I'm fine. And we lie because we're weighed down by guilt. That's why I brought the anchor. Okay, so this is an anchor, and I'm going to try to wield it around like I'm Mr. Muscles, part of my resolution, right? Now, an anchor, we can use an anchor for a couple different things. I can, I can anchor this, uh, uh, or I, I can fasten this to a boat, and when the wind comes and the current comes, you know, if that's down in the soggy bottom of Gichigumi, right, that can, that can keep me in one position, and that anchor is a good thing. The weight of that anchor is good. I'll tell you how the weight of the anchor is a bad thing. When it's like my guilt and my shame that I try to carry through life like this. And what would be really bad is if I have this anchor and I decide to go for a swim. I don't care how strong a swimmer you are, how much you've been working out, however many resolutions, CrossFit, yeah, try that wad, right? Try that workout of the day. 23-pound anchor shackled to you, go for a swim. You're going to die. That's what guilt does to us. In fact, just thinking about this just a little bit, and you saw the visual for the sermon is that underwater picture. Can you imagine being shackled to this anchor right here, being shackled to this on a 10-foot chain and you trying to swim in 20-foot of water? Somebody told me, dude, that made me kind of lose my breath because, I start, because I'm petrified of water. Even if you're not petrified of water, this is what guilt and the shame that comes with it, this is what it does to us. It weighs us down. This weighs down Christians. It's toxic. It's poisonous. You know what my prayer for us in 2016 is we'd stop carrying all this guilt and shame around. And we carry guilt and shame around for all kinds of things. Little things. Stupid things. I still feel guilty about stuff that happened years ago. Little things that I can kind of laugh about now, but I'm still not really proud of. Let me give you one example. I didn't share this last night. I don't know if my wife knows this story, so this could get real interesting. It was the summer of 1988. I'm living in northern Indiana, and I'm unattached, thankfully. And I hadn't met my wife yet, so there's the asterisk to this story. And I'm 18 years old, and I'm the son of a preacher. And I love Jesus, and I go to church, and, and you know, I'm an upstanding citizen. I wasn't the terror of the town like some of you think I might have been. That was Pastor Tim, not me, all right? And uh, I was in church one Sunday, sitting on the second row like preacher's kids do, you know, just being perfect. 
in my perfect world. That's sarcasm in case you didn't get that. And uh, during the like meet and greet time, or maybe it was during one of the hymns, as we sat down, you know, it's a small town and you know, whenever there's a new car or a new face, you're like, oh, who's this person, right? Well, this person happened to be young about my age and cute and I'd never seen her before. And she was in the back row and I'm in the front row. In fact, I was in the front left and she was in the back right. And I remember stealing a glance by, oh, hello. What is that about? Praise the Lord. All right. I know in church, right? And and the reason I feel guilty is because I can remember that service. I kept stealing glances back there. And, you know, during the singing, I was just, yes, amen. Yes, she is cute. And, you know, that type of deal. And then I can remember positioning myself in the sermon kind of sideways on. So every once in a while, I could just, yeah. And then once I caught her eye, yes. Second time I caught her eye, a smile, yes. This is all good. Men, can I get a witness? We know, ladies, the games you play. And instead of listening and instead of engaging with what my father was preaching, the gospel, I'm in church checking out a new chick. Well, unfortunately, church was done. And, you know, as I tried to mosey on back, the crazy lady with the tambourine stopped me, right? And she wanted to talk about something. And so I, I, I only saw this girl get in a car with two older people. And I'm like, ooh, visitor, grandparents. I know them, I think, kind of. But I didn't get her name. I didn't get to meet her. And now it's like, well, what am I going to do about this situation? And so I went to dinner at my house and dinner was over. And when dad went to take a nap and mom went and did her thing, I went and got my dad's keys. This is bad. And my parents are about to hear about this when they listen to this sermon tomorrow, right? I got my dad's keys, and I went back across the lawn to the church. And in our church, we took a little attendance register where people signed in, and they passed it down the aisle, right? I unlocked the church, went in, and I found the uh, attendance registry, and I got her phone, her phone number and her name. <laughs> Is that all kinds of levels of abuse of, of the position of pastor's kid? But, you, but I had good intentions. And that afternoon, there was a phone call that was placed, and it was like, yes, this is John, I'm the the president of the youth group, and I was just, you know, wanted to welcome you to town and just maybe show you the sights and give you the... How lame is that? And yeah, we did, and it was a fun week of getting to know somebody, but Jesus said my house would be a house of prayer, not a house of pickups, right? (laughs) Now, you might think that's silly, But for me, like, and kind of the way I view what, you know, this following Jesus thing is supposed to be all about, I still feel guilty about that, and that was over 25 years ago, right? Now, if I can still conjure up some guilt and share it with you, because therapy is expensive, thank you, by the way, um, if I can do that with you, how much more for stuff that's, like, really dark? The stuff that you did that nobody knows or only the few people that you hurt know or the people that are sworn to secrecy, the stuff you don't like to share. Guilt has a way of condemning, doesn't it? And if the guilt that you carry for what you did or didn't do isn't enough, then other people heap their guilt on you as well. 
and we become defeated, discouraged, depressed people. So when we read things like everyone has sinned and we all fall short, it's like thanks for reminding me as if I don't have enough guilt as it is and the shame that comes with it. Because it's not bad enough that I did bad. Now I'm into the shame part. Now I feel like I am bad. And that somehow I deserve this. And so we've got to do something to get rid of it. We're human beings and and we got to survive. And so we have all kinds of twisted ways to deal with our guilt and our shame. The first thing we try to do is we try to think it away. We try to imagine it away. We try to rationalize it. Well, everybody does it. Well, that's the way I was raised. Well, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Do you know how hard my life is? And so we start giving ourselves a pass, but it doesn't work for very long, does it? We tell everybody that, no, I don't feel guilty about a thing. I'll stand before God and do whatever. You know deep down that he's God and you're not and you won't stand. We can't stand. If you really believe that, you wouldn't be here seeking him. You can't think it away. You can't reason it away. You can't rationalize that heavy, heavy weight. And you're trying to swim in no amount of thinking. You're still shackled to it. So then, because we can't think it away, then we try to take action against it. We try to bury it or drown it, pretend it's not there. This is when we start believing, well, if I drink enough, if I eat enough, if I exercise enough, if I work hard enough, if I fill it with whatever... If I get a new wife, if I get a new set of children, right? If I move to a new state, and and, and so we spend our lives, we waste our lives trying to get rid of our guilt by trying to numb it. This is where addictions come from. The guilt and the shame that comes with it. And then it gets really twisted Then when that doesn't work, when we try religion. Well, I'll try to outweigh my guilt, So imagine that you're shackled to this anchor, you're trying to swim, and you're going to outweigh it with all of your good works and all of your effort and how holy you can be and how many Bible verses you can memorize and how many small groups you can attend and how much you can give to the build program and how much people see you are so holy. But you know what? That weight doesn't counterattack that weight. You just drown even quicker. Doesn't work. And then when we carry this guilt and shame around... And I've seen this in my own life, is when we take our guilt and our shame and we weaponize it. I get tired of carrying it, and it hurts too much, and it's drowning me, and it's killing me, and the condemnation that comes with it, so now I'm going to put it on you. Or worse, I'm going to put it on her. Or I'm going to put it on my kids. Or I'm going to put it on my staff. Or I'm going to put it on my congregation. Or I'm going to put it on my friends. This is when we guilt trip someone. People that use guilt as a motivator are usually under a heavy burden of guilt and shame themselves. That's what motivates them, and they try to motivate you the same way. I do it. The condemnation of guilt gets so heavy that it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to put it on my wife. Condemnation of guilt gets so heavy, I'm going to put it on my children. That's when we weaponize guilt, and that's toxic. That's a mess. I was standing in, a, in my mudroom, it was about a year ago, and I don't remember, by God's grace, what the incident was about, but I remember the moment. It was with my oldest child, and I was trying to get her to do something that she wasn't doing, and so I took all of my issues 
right? All of my preacher kid issues, all of my summer of 1988 guilt, all of my shame for not being tall enough or smart enough or, or, or skinny enough or rich enough or, or all of the bad stuff that I've done. And I took it all and I just guilt tripped her. I just said something to get her to do what I wanted to do. And I used guilt. And by God's grace, I stopped in that moment. And she was mature enough. And we had such a relationship that I, that I just said, I'm sorry, did I just guilt trip you? And she goes, yeah, it was pretty aggressive. And I was like, I'm sorry, forget everything I said. I don't want to motivate my children and the people that I love with guilt. How dare I take my guilt and my shame and my condemnation, weaponize it and use it on her. I want her to be motivated by love. And you guys, if that's how I feel towards my child, how much more does our heavenly father feel that way towards us? Guilt condemns, it defeats, it discourages us. Some of us, we take our guilt and we wear it like a badge. Do you know what happened to me? Oh, you think that's bad? Watch this. That's just twisted. It's messed up. Here's the second thing. We don't have to live under that falling short of God's glorious standard. We don't have to live under that guilt and shame from the fact that we've all sinned. Guilt condemns, but Jesus rescues. Jesus rescues. Jesus rescues. I wish right now so much that you are not an all-white church. Jesus rescues. Wish I was in Haiti for a minute. Jesus rescues at just the right time. All of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short, but Jesus rescues. It says that God freely and graciously declared us righteous. How? How is that just? How is that fair? Because that's my shame. That was pretty you know, disgusting, really, if you think about it, what I did in 1988. No, no, no. That's why he punished Jesus. That's why it uses terms like punishment and penalty and sacrifice and blood. Someone has to pay. Jesus paid. Jesus rescued by taking my guilt, my shame, my sin, and nailing it on a cross. He pinned it all on Jesus. Not some of it, not three quarters of it, not most of it, all of it. And if he didn't, then the gospel's a lie. If any of it depends on you, Jesus wasn't enough. Have fun with that. Have fun carrying that anchor around. Good luck with that. If Jesus doesn't take all the guilt and all the shame, it's not a rescue. And the words mean nothing of Paul's letter. He freely and graciously declares us righteous through Jesus Christ the shedding of his blood on a cross. If you're here today and you're wondering what the gospel is, that's it. And it's a really good deal. It's the best deal. And it almost seems too good to be true. And I know this because I'm a Christian and sometimes I live in such a way that I doubt it. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you see where I'm going this. I'm, I'm encouraging you to believe that. But I want to talk for a minute to Christians. It's time, Christians, we started really believing it. 
believing the fullest expression of the gospel, not part of the gospel, not I prayed a prayer a long time ago, I went to Bible camp, I walked to an altar, I raised my hand at the thing and I said the magic prayer, but I still feel guilty. You don't understand the fullest expression of the gospel if you're still feeling the condemnation of guilt. Jesus rescued us freely and graciously. Done. Done. It says elsewhere, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, that, that means that you believe in God, you believe in Jesus Christ, you've asked him to come into your life, you've placed your trust and faith in him, there's no condemnation. How about a little bit of condemnation? No condemnation. There's no condemnation. The heaviness, you're unshackled. You're set free. You know what else that means? That means I don't get to put condemnation on you. And you don't get to put condemnation on me. And we don't get to put condemnation on them. That means people far from God. I don't get to put condemnation on them. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm out of the condemning game. I don't receive it. I don't give it. It was all nailed to the cross. Game over. Find me a different game. What different game? Loving people now. Now I'm in the loving game. Now I'm in the forgiving game. Now I'm in the grace game. Condemnation doesn't belong in my life. And if you're a saint of God, it belongs in your life. Now, as soon as you say saint, someone says, well, I'm no saint. Well, Ephesians chapter 1 says, not only is there no condemnation, but if you're in Christ, all of Ephesians chapter 1 is all the blessings that you and I receive in Christ. We have a brand new identity. The very first thing it says to Christians, if you've trusted Christ, you're a saint. Not someday, right now. You're a saint right now. Why? Because you're forgiven right now. You're declared righteous right now. You're blessed right now. You're a child of God right now because you were adopted right now. And if he's a king, it means you're royalty right now. That's us. Why do I insist on carrying that around? Why do I insist on weaponizing it and using it on other people? Jesus rescues us from guilt. And he rescues people far from God. And he rescues those of us that are saints as well. You see, the gospel just keeps on giving. Jesus died for the sin that I committed before I came to him. Jesus died for the sins that I commit while I'm following him. And Jesus died for the sins that I'm going to probably commit tomorrow. Hopefully not, but maybe I will. I don't know. Might have a headache and a bad day. I don't know. Might snow. There's a good chance. He made me a new creation, according to 2 Corinthians. So I have a new identity, new creation, and there's no condemnation. Jesus rescues. And it's not just for someday. He rescues us right now. He rescues us from guilt. How do I get this? How do I get this? Simple. When I believe. When I believe. That's the moment. And it's not just when I became a Christian. You see how the two layers work here? How do I get rid of my guilt? How am I made right with God? I'm not a Christian. Believe, and at that moment, you're made right. You're declared righteous freely and graciously. I'm a Christian. How am I made right? How do I get rid of the guilt that I'm hanging on to and carrying into 2016? When you fully believe it, yes, then the guilt goes away. The condemnation goes right with it. And all the shame, and then you're free to not carry it, and you're not free to put it on somebody else. You're free. Scripture says it's for freedom that Christ set us free. 
Do not let yourselves be yoked again. Do not let yourself be shackled again. Jesus nailed it to a cross. It says we're made righteous, and it says when I believe two different times, when they believe, that's when it happens. That moment. Not when you clean yourself up, not when you prove that you can be sober, not when you prove that you're done with that addiction, not when you believe that, okay, now you're a good person. You're free of that condemnation, that guilt, and that shame when you believe right now. So that's a call. I mean, if you're not a Christian today, why, I mean, why wouldn't you? That's such a good deal. If you are a Christian today, why do we insist on hanging on to this? I was thinking about that last night. I think some of us are sadistic. We love it. We love to be shamed. Isn't that twisted? I don't love to be shamed. Yes, you do. Yes, we do. When I hear a sermon that just really pow, it's like, oh, that guy's good. Right? You know who you are. You all come up to me right after we've just punched you in the mouth with a heavy sermon about sin, and you're like, oh, that was so good. Hit us again. Get us again. How sick and twisted are we? You made me feel so bad about myself. I'm sticking around for another service. Hit us again. That's messed up, man. I'm the same way. But I don't get to hang on to that. Either I believe Jesus nailed it to a cross or I don't. I want to believe it every moment of every day, and I don't want to put it on anybody else, and I'm tired of dragging it around. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When it says he did it freely and graciously, I'm still trying to figure out how this plays out, but if words mean anything, and there's no wasted words in Scripture, then check it out. There are no strings attached. And if you insist on attaching strings to what Jesus did freely and graciously, to what God provided through his sacrifice, if you choose to hang on to guilt and shame, if you choose to put guilt and shame on other people, then that means you don't believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. That's blasphemy. I don't want to blaspheme. So what do we do with this? Where do we go? Well, Scripture says that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's no unforgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is to reject Christ and what He did on the cross. That's the only unforgivable sin. To say no. But if you confess your sin, any sin, I don't care what it was. And let me tell you, there's some bad sins in this church. I know. Some of them are mine. But he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and we're no longer shackled. He takes all of the shame and the condemnation, nails it to the cross, and we're done with it. It's done. Now you might say, why do I sometimes feel it? Well, remember what I said about anchors. An anchor can be a good thing too. If I'm not swimming with it, what else can an anchor do for me? Well, I can use it as a point of reference. You know, I can anchor it to my boat, and when the winds come and the currents come, and I've, it, it, that'll keep me where I need to stay, right? Well, if I believe that Jesus took all of my guilt, my condemnation, and my shame, 
and I still feel guilt, that's a different kind of guilt. That's a good kind of guilt, quote unquote. That guilt is conviction. There's a difference. You see, if I'm in Christ, there's no more condemnation. There's no more shaming. But if I feel guilty, that means something I've done or something I haven't done has gone against the character of God. And this is the one who saved me. This is the one who took my guilt and shame. This is the one that set me free, and he did it with no strings attached. So now when I feel the pangs of guilt, I feel the weight of that guilt, that's keeping me in a place where I need to be. That's conviction. And it says in Romans 2 verse 4 that his kindness leads me to repentance. That means when I feel that pang of guilt now, I'm not condemned. That means I need to confess that sin. I need to ask you to forgive me. I need to say I'm sorry. I need to make that right. Not to earn his love, but to have my character in conformity to his character. See the difference? That's what, that's what that anchor can do for us. But it doesn't condemn if you're in Christ. So my prayer today for us, my hope, is that we'll do just that. We'll confess our sin. And if we've been hanging on to guilt and shame, this could be the day when you say, all right, I'm not going to do it perfect, but starting today, I'm done with it. I'm done with feeling the shame of my guilt. I'm going to let Christ take all of it on the cross. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you want to have a relationship with God and be made right with God and have all the blessings that I spouted off there a few minutes ago, that can be yours. And it's the same way by confessing our sin, make it a clean slate and just say, God, take it, please take it, take my guilt and my shame. And then choosing to believe it, guilt condemns, Jesus rescues when I believe. And when you believe, it's done. That's the hard part. That's the living it out part. Believe in it every day that it was done enough. And it's the greatest feeling ever to live without guilt. Not like a sociopath. Without the condemnation that comes with it. The band's gonna come. And as they come, David wrote a psalm that describes the feeling after we do this. I want you to listen to these words. In Psalm 32, David writes, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. He just presses delete and it's gone. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Do you want that? It's available. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth. God, I thank you for the way that guilt can convict me. But God, I thank you that you rescued me so I don't have to live under its condemnation. God, I thank you that through Christ we can be rescued from guilt and shame and the defeat and the discouragement that comes from that. God, I pray that you would give us the faith to believe it. God, and help us not to feel guilty about the fact that we don't have enough faith to believe it. God, help us... 
to learn to live in such a way where we don't feel guilty about what Jesus did on the cross, but we feel set free by what Jesus did on the cross. God, I pray for people here that don't know you, that God, maybe this would be the day that they would turn their lives over to you and they would be set free from the condemnation, the penalty of sin and guilt. But God, most people here, most people watching or listening online, God, I believe they're Christians, but we're hanging on to guilt as well. And I pray that you would help us to let it go and believe that you meant what you said when you said it's free and it's by grace. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to pay it back. It's nailed to a cross. Help us to live that way, God. Help me to live that way. Thank you for what you did on the cross and how you rescued me from guilt. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.